Life Changes Church, we are in season two of the Promotable Life series. It is going to be an incredible word. So grab a notebook and a pen and get ready. But we are in our series, The Promotable Life. And for those of you who haven't been with us in the series or maybe are new for the first time, what we, we've been looking at the story of Joseph and how God takes a man and he uses man's potential and God's power meets man's potential for God's purposes. And really, promotion overlaps blessing, but it is different to blessing. It is not the same as blessing. God, we believe that God has given us every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. So promotion is different, but promotion only comes from God. It's not about man's ability or how we can do better or try harder. It is about God's favor and providence in our lives. And the third point is that God's got it. God's in control, God's sovereign, and he is the king of our lives. But as we've been looking through this character of Joseph, we've been seeing that actually God is in every moment of every moment, but that God's hand was over Joseph's life from the very moment that he got the dreams to when he became prime minister, but also when he was in the pit, when he was a slave, when he was in prison, God was always with Joseph. But when we look at this character of Joseph, it is very easy to think that I am Joseph. I know if we look at Joseph, it says that he's very wise, so tick for me, there we go. It also says that he was the favorite child in his family. Amen, amen. It also says he was ridiculously good looking. I'm basically Joseph, guys. That's what I'm saying. But actually, we are not Joseph. You are not, some of you are not Joseph. No, actually, none of you are Joseph. If we're like anyone in the story, we are more like the 10 older brothers who maybe try and uh, who sin and then try and hide their shame and actually sin against Joseph and throw him in a pit and there's hate in their hearts and there's anger and there's all these things and when we look at the Bible actually we may be more aligned with the older brothers than Joseph because there's this amazing thing in scripture that all scripture points towards Jesus Christ and when we look at the story of Joseph and when we look at his character Jesus' fingerprints are all over Joseph. Joseph and Jesus were the father's beloved. They were the father's favored. Joseph became a slave in a foreign land. Jesus left heaven to, to become a slave to mankind. They both were tempted and then they remained pure. Joseph was with the baker and the wine taster. Jesus is the bread of heaven and the wine. Joseph gave the hungry, hungry bread to eat. Jesus is the bread of life. Joseph was lifted up to be second in command to Pharaoh, prime minister. Jesus was lifted up to be at the right hand of God. So when we look at Joseph's life, it's actually pointing us towards one who is greater, one who we need in our life, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at the story tonight, but the question I want to leave you with in the beginning, and I want you to write this down, I want you to maybe ponder this throughout your week, the question is this, what if we aren't Joseph? And if we aren't Joseph, how do we live a promotable life? If we aren't Joseph, how do we live a promotable life? How do we live a life for God's favor? Because the promotable life, this series, is not about getting our next promotion. It is not about becoming prime minister. It is about living a life of influence for God and his kingdom. That is what the promotable life is about. It's about seeing Jesus' life through us and in us so that we can impact the world for God's glory. And so we're going to look at Genesis 42. And if you have your Bible, please uh, turn to Genesis 42. You can also follow on the screen behind me. It's going to be there. But we're going to read scripture together. 
says this. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. At this time, there was famine in the land, and most commentators say that this was around the first year of the famine. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see why our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. That's not completely true. They were definitely not honest men. No, he said to them, You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and the one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. Great brotherly uh, treatment right there. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are an honest man, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, tonight I pray that you show us Jesus. God, that you will show us Jesus Christ. That it is by your blood and your blood alone, Jesus, that we are set free. That your grace is in every part of our story. That your grace is the thing that will sustain us. Your grace is the thing that will set us free. But your grace is the one, is the thing that is going to sustain us for all life. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. And amen. Why don't you just turn to someone and say, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. And you have to say it like you actually mean it, or you lie. But so that this environment that they found out themselves in is one of famine. And this maybe may uh, strike an accord with uh, all of us, because right now in our country, 
it can be seen as a time of famine. There's load shedding. Interest rates are increasing. There's corruption in our land. And for many, we are feeling this time of economic recession. We're feeling that actually our money is being pinched. And how do I um, meet ends meet? And how do I get to the end of the week? And how do I sustain my family? And what are my children's futures going to be? And how do I provide for everyone? And do I just work and work for nothing in return? And for many, it can be like a time of famine that the brothers experience. But I want to say that the promotable life is one where our environment does not determine our response. And so when we look at the brothers, actually, we see that they did not trust God. Jacob sends the brothers to go buy grain, but he knew who, was, who God was, and he knew the promises that God had given his family. But he sends the brothers anyway to go buy grain. But Joseph was in Egypt. Why? Because of God's sovereign hand. Because God always had a plan from the very beginning. So that when the brothers came in this time of famine, God had already provided for them through the brother they threw in a pit. And so we see God's sovereign hand in all this story. And so my first point tonight is that God is not looking for your toil. He is looking for your trust. See, God is not looking for your toil. He wants your trust. See, these 10 brothers, most commentators say that they are actually an allegory for the 10 commandments. And we know that in the Old Testament, the law was there to point us towards God, but that, uh, to make a way for us towards God. Because in our sin, we could not be right with God. And so we would have to try and work our way and atone for our sins and make our own way to God. But actually, Jesus comes later in the story and says, no, you cannot work your way to God. It is not by your toil. It is not by your labor that you are going to receive grace. But these 10 brothers are born from Leah. And, these, and the other two, Joseph and Benjamin, are born from Rachel, the, the children of promise. And so these 10 brothers are actually brothers of toil. They are brothers who have sinned in their lives. They are brothers who are trying to gain their father's favor. They are carrying the guilt of their past, and they're trying to work things out in their life. And no matter how they are hard, they are trying to get favor with their father and be right in the eyes of God. They cannot toil enough to get there. See, the law will always fall short. It will tell you that you need to do more, that you need to be more, that you need to consume more, that you need to do more, that you need to be more, that you need to consume more. And then when you fall short again, you need to do more, you need to be more, and you need to consume more. Why? Because we cannot do it on our own. We cannot find God's favor by our toil. We cannot find God's blessing and promotion in our life by working harder, by trying to be better, by trying to white-knuckle it and get through the week and get through life by ourselves. We need grace in our story. And so we see the brothers in this econ economy of buying and selling. They're trading everything for God's favor. They're trading everything to just get a little bit of grain to sustain their life, to just get a little bit of grain to sustain their family, rather than trusting in God who was always providing for their family. See, they went to go buy grain rather than trusting for their Father in heaven who would, who would supply the bread of life. They knew the stories. They knew all this, that God would always be with them. And so it says this in Genesis 43, verse 2. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. 
fast forward that we're actually seeing that the grain runs out. See, when we are in this economy of buying and selling, when we try and labor for God's favor, the grain will always run out. Said in another way, your toil and your effort will always leave you empty. Your toil and your effort will always leave you empty. Just like the ten brothers, will we continue to trade the promises of God for bags of grain? See, God does not want our effort. He does not want you to be better. He does not want your Christian principles. He wants your heart and he wants you to live a life for his glory. And that's all that he requires from us. And so we need to unplug from the system of our toil and our labor and plug into the system of trusting him. And so we need to stop trading our promises that he has given us and we need to start trusting God. I believe that in this series, he is asking us, will we trust him? Now, what does trust look like? I believe that if we live a life of faith, faith looks like obedience and then trust. We cannot trust God without being obedient, but without walking and exercising our faith. We cannot be obedient to him without actually trusting that God is greater, that God is enough, that God is sufficient for us. And so he's not just after our lives and after the things that we do. He is after our hearts. He is after every fiber of our being, and he's calling us to trust him. See, when Jesus tells us how to pray and he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That phrase, hallowed be your name, means I trust you, God. Do we trust him? And there's no such thing as partial trust. We can't trust him with our finances, but then we still toil and we still try and make every effort to maybe balance out the books or maybe I'm going to put some money in crypto and that's going to work out. Or maybe if I just pay my workers a little bit less, that would give me a little bit more money for the end of the month. No, he's wanting our full obedience and our full trust. There's no such thing as partial trust. So in this story, Joseph is going, will you trust me? Will you trust me to, uh, that God will provide for your family? Will you trust me that um, what I am asking of you, you will do? And so what does Joseph ask them? He says, where's Benjamin? And now Benjamin is their youngest brother. And when they... When their father says, go to the land of Egypt, why they are so terrified is they are remembering what they did to Joseph. And they think that their father knows their secret, their shame, their sin. And at the very mention of Egypt, they say, I don't want to go back there. That's probably where Joseph is. And if now we have to send Benjamin, maybe he will meet the same fate. That actually is by our hands that Joseph died. And now it's by our hands that maybe Benjamin will die as well. And so we see that their guilt and their shame and everything that they're carrying, just like us, and they come before Joseph and they go, actually, I'm not willing to give you Benjamin. I'm not willing to give you that thing that you are asking for. I'm not willing to give you, God, that thing that you are asking for in order to trust you. And so the question that Joseph asks is, where is Benjamin? The reason why he asks this is because Benjamin is a symbol for grace. And so Joseph wasn't looking for their toil. He wasn't looking for what they could give him. He wasn't looking for their labor or their status or who they were. He was looking for their trust. And so my second point tonight is that he is looking for at his grace over your guilt. He is looking at his grace over your guilt. Can you imagine Joseph at this point? He is seeing his brothers come. The very brothers who threw him into a pit. 
the very brothers who left him for dead. Now, if I was Joseph, I would not have acted like it said in the Bible. I would have been furious. At that very moment, I would have gotten the Egyptian officials to uh, wrangle them up and throw them in a pit so that they could feel the same fate that Joseph had felt for so many years. That's what I would have done if I was Joseph. But what does he do? His response is one of grace. He simply asks them, where is your younger brother? Where is Benjamin? See, the secret shame they were carrying around for so long was being threatened to be exposed. It's the thing that they didn't want anyone to know. Where is Benjamin? Why? Because they were so afraid that people may find out their secret, that their father may find out their secret, that actually they, that they sent Joseph to die in a pit. See, the brothers were living from a place of guilt. Guilt for their sin, sin guilt, that, guilt that made them fearful, guilt that made them hide. It says this in verse 21, they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how, how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come to us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. See, guilt makes us live that our current circumstances, that our sin, that all these things does not make us right in God's eyes. And guilt makes us toil even harder. Guilt makes us labor even further. Guilt makes us believe that we are not good enough. See, guilt and shame are basically the left and the right hook of the enemy. Guilt and shame keeps us looking back to Egypt, keeps us looking back to what we had done, keeps us carrying this weight wherever we go. And so the brothers are carrying this guilt of throwing Joseph in the pit. They are carrying this weight, and guilt will do the same to each and every one of us. If we carry guilt and shame around, it will always take us further and further away from God's grace. Because guilt and shame make us believe that we are deficient, that we aren't good enough, and that's the very way that Jesus looks at us. But Jesus pronounces us guiltless and promises us that His grace will be sufficient for us in every circumstance. This evening, will you let go of your guilt? Will you let go of the shame of the past? Will you let go of all the mistakes you have made, all the things that you have been carrying around for so long? Each of us has a story with guilt and shame. Each of us has something that we do not want to bring towards God for fear that He may pronounce us guilty, for fear that we may not be good enough, for fear that we may not measure up to Him. See, I... I've been a Christian for many years, but I was in a church for another church for 11 years, and I loved God passionately, and I read my Bible every night. But every night when I went to bed, I prayed this prayer. I said, Father, will you forgive me of my sins in case I am not clean? And I had this idea uh, that I was walking around with this idea that actually I had to atone for everything. I had to labor. I had to be right. I had to be perfect in order to be right in God's eyes. But that's not the gospel. That's not grace. When Jesus looks down upon you, he sees you guiltless. 
not because of your labor, not because of anything you've done, but because of his blood on the cross. And so when we look at the story of Joseph and the 10 brothers, the 10 brothers are one where they need to toil to get their father's favor. But we as the sons and daughters of the living God do have to do nothing in order to get God's favor. It's only because we are heirs in Jesus Christ that we have been adopted into his family that we can receive his grace. And so when we walk from this place, we realize that the promotable life is nothing without the grace-filled life. That we need Jesus' grace in our story to sustain us, to go before us, to be the thing that anchors us in every circumstance. No matter whether we are second in command or whether we are in the pit, whether we are a slave in Egypt or whether we had the dream spoken to us by God. We need Jesus' grace. And guilt will make us think that we cannot access that grace. But I want to tell you that you are not greater than God's grace. Your sin, your shame, whatever you've done, your, my pride, my arrogance is not greater than God's grace. See, Joseph simply says, where's Benjamin? Where's Benjamin? Are you willing to give me Benjamin? Are you willing to give God that thing that you've been hiding for so long? Are you willing to trust Him with all your life? Are you willing to trust Him with your children? Are you willing to take that secret sin and that shame and lay it at the foot of the cross and present it to God and say, all I am here to do is surrender. All that God requires with grace is that we surrender. Will we surrender Benjamin just like the brothers had to? But again, there's no partial surrender. We can't say, Lord, I'm going to surrender my finances to you. But I'm still going to labor and toil and it's going to be by my sweat that I provide for my family. We can't say, Lord, I surrender my sexuality to you, but I'm not going to trust you with my future spouse. I'm not going to remain pure and faithful to your word. I'm going to trust my own heart. Lord, I trust my children to you, but the economic conditions of South Africa aren't good enough. Maybe I need to emigrate. Maybe I need to go to a different land because I'm schooling's better there. No, will you trust him with everything? See, grace requires us to surrender, and that is all. And it is from that place of surrender that we live out a promotable life. It is that place of surrender that we live out a life that will bring glory to God's name. It is that place of surrender that we will find freedom and life and life in abundance. See, He wants your faith. He wants your obedience. But they must flow from a place of grace. Or otherwise, it's just again under the law, laboring, toiling, carrying guilt, carrying your shame, trying to get it done, trying to work harder, trying to be better. It's only grace. See, Benjamin is a symbol of grace. It says this in verse, uh, chapter 43, verse 31. After he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, serve the bread. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, 
Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. When I read this, it gripped my heart. What does he do with the 10 brothers who threw him in a pit, who left him for, for dead? He sat them at his table and he said, serve them bread. Serve them bread. Serve my people bread. Joseph points towards Jesus because Jesus is the bread of life and we can come to his table and we can receive our daily bread and we can feast on who Jesus is and then he serves Benjamin five times as much as anyone else. Why? Because in the Bible, the number of grace is five. It's always pointing towards Jesus' grace and this character of Benjamin isn't seen often This character of Benjamin has no lines in the story. This character of Benjamin is not the central character of the story. But grace is always there. And grace is always in your story as well. We cannot have the promotable life if we do not have the grace-filled life. He is calling you to respond. He is calling to bring your guilt and your shame. He is calling you to stop toiling, to start trusting in Him. Why? Because His grace is sufficient. And we see this character of Benjamin is that actually he was supposed to be named Benoni because when Rachel was giving birth to Benjamin, she was about to die and she knew that. And so she was going to name him son of my suffering. But Jacob in that moment intervenes and he goes, no, we will name him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Son of authority it also means. Why? Because he will have all authority because grace will be in your story. Jesus was the son of suffering on the cross. He bore each and every one of our sins so that we can walk freely in his grace. Just as Benjamin was the son of suffering, but he was renamed. God wants to get into your story and he wants to give you a new name. He wants to rename your suffering into joy. He wants to rename your death into life. He wants to rename your addiction into freedom. See, with Jesus' grace, He renames our stories and He gives us new life so that we can walk in the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. Not your sin, not your shame, not your guilt, not what you've been carrying for decades, not what your fathers and mothers have brought down to you. It is only about Jesus' grace. He wants to rename you. He wants to rename your toil into trust. And he wants to rename your guilt into grace. Can we stand to our feet? See, we are not Joseph. But Jesus is. Jesus is the greater Joseph. It is pointing towards Jesus. And if I can tell you one thing tonight, is take hold of the grace that is on offer to you. Whether you are still in school, whether you are mature in years and you have kids, take hold of the grace that Jesus Christ offers to you. Whether you have been a Christian for 30 years or you haven't made a commitment yet, take hold of the grace that Jesus offers to you. And so trust is our posture And grace is his provision. Trust is our posture. A life of surrender, letting go. 
trusting with every part of our life. Not just parts of it, not compartmentalizing things, but with every part. With our future, with our finances, with our children, with our mind, our hearts, our actions. And then we come and receive the provision from Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for watching. If you'd like to take your next steps or find out what's happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. We can't wait to see you soon.